Welcome to Transition, Gadget 360's podcast on games and pop culture. Nintendo, a giant in the world of gaming, has just launched a new console. It's called the Nintendo Switch and we are here to talk about it at length. So, to talk about the Nintendo Switch, we have four people in all, that's including me. First up, I'm your host, Pranay Parab, and to my right is our games editor, Rishi Alwani. Greetings. And directly across me is Gagan Gupta, who's our videos in charge. It's me! <laughs> and sitting to my left is another regular on this podcast, that's Mikhail Madnani. Greetings! Okay, let's start with the price and availability of the Nintendo Switch. I think they announced that it's uh, $299 and availability is um, starting March 3rd, 2017. So, uh, this is in the US and UK and Japan, right? Any other regions it's coming to? Uh, yes, they did mention Hong Kong and Canada. Yeah, um, and other territories. Uh, they also mentioned a few European territories, not yeah. by name. Uh, yeah. And what they also did say was, while they mentioned the price for Japan, US and UK, they also said the price for other UK uh, for other European territories is dependent on local retailers. Yep. So I have a feeling they haven't nailed down the price for other regions just yet. Hey, so do we come under the local territories in Europe? Uh, n- it's a complicated situation. Maybe 150 years ago. Yeah, uh, but it's it's a very complicated situation. It's but that's how we're getting our gaming consoles anyway, right? We're it, getting it from UK, from uh, the European stock. That's yeah. for that's for the brands that have an official presence here and uh, talk to their company or sister companies in those regions. Yeah. For a company like Nintendo who has no official presence here, uh, it's all grey market, so... Uh, that's why I think we could... It's a grey area, it's not grey market. Because uh, Nintendo seems to have an official distributor called Sundar Electronics. How official remains to be seen. Yeah. Reason being, uh, he gets his stock from Maxsoft, which is owned by Active Boyki, which is Nintendo's official distributor in Japan. Okay. So in that fashion, yes, we do get games officially. We've gotten the 3DS officially, which costs double of what it costs in the grey market. Okay. We've got Pokemon Sun and Moon, which is also available officially, as well as a few key Mario titles. So it's kind of a grey area at best, because I, when I did speak to the distributor today about Indian availability, they said they'll check and let me know. In other words, it's coming to us for 45,000 rupees? <laughs> If it comes in officially, you can safely expect a 30,000 rupee price point. 30,000 would know, be very, very good. Yeah, the $300 price point roughly uh, converts to about 21,000 rupees. Yeah. So you can see the premium us poor Indians are paying for this. Yep. 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 Yeah. So next most interesting thing was the games available at launch. Now, in the previous episode, if you had listened to it, we discussed that the availability right at launch and immediately after is going to be a big selling point. So right now we have The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild um, coming in for the Nintendo Switch. There's a game called 1-2 Switch and there's uh, three other titles promised for March 2017. One is Just Dance 2017 of which Rishi is going to do a video review and there's Super Bomberman, there's I Am Setsuna and in April we have Mario Kart 8 Deluxe coming in. Um, as far as I know, these are the games that are coming in in March and April. Uh, have I missed anything, Mike? Uh, no, it's just these right now. But they might have more announcements or third-party developers might release their games at that time. This is whatever Nintendo felt like confirming. We've already seen uh, press releases come in from other developers, both in Japan and outside, confirming titles from franchises like Romance of the Three Kingdoms and strategy games from Japan all being announced. I wouldn't even be surprised if Capcom decides to do a Monster Hunter event and release one of their titles around uh, 
March or April because it makes financial sense for both Capcom and Nintendo. Yeah. But for now, this is all we have confirmed. Yeah, so in my opinion, at least this is uh, like the number of games right at launch are quite low. I mean, what do that's, you guys think? Uh, that's pretty standard for consoles initially. Even the 3DS had one of the worst launch oh, yeah, lineups terrible. ever, yeah. except for it had a Zelda port. I mean, it, it was Ocarina of Time, which is one of the highest rated games ever. But still, the library was pretty bad for the first year until yeah. developers actually figured out how to do stuff with the console. I have a feeling it's going to be the same situation here. But uh, the price is very interesting right now, given where the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One are at. But we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. so like you mentioned, 3DS had just Ocarina of Time at launch. And later on, they got uh, Luigi's Mansion. That That's when it started to pick up. Uh, that that took a while. And then there was also another port, Star Fox 64 3D. Yeah. So that's the thing. I mean, all the initial games on the 3DS were also ports. And let's not forget, PS4 had a pretty lame lineup when it started off. I mean, it only it's only after in the infamous like uh, which one was that? Infamous Second Son. Second Son. Yeah, that's when it started to pick up a little bit. But there was a slack. Yeah, I mean, period I, after that as well. I bought the PlayStation 4 when GTA 5 released on it because I love that game and that's a port. Yeah. So. That's I mean, the thing. So the first year is generally quite slow in most of these consoles. I mean, the last console to actually have a really strong launch lineup was the GameCube. And that was back in, I think, 2000, 2001. They had, uh, they, they had a Rogue Squadron game. They had Luigi's Mansion. They had 1080 snowboarding. And it was a pretty good lineup to start with, a good, strong lineup. But it's, it, it, it is true, and I do agree that, yes, uh, it's going to be a challenge. It's a super lean lineup. The only thing that looks really good is Zelda, at least from what most people would pick up. So it's going to be interesting to see how soon they get the other cool stuff. Yeah, but out. I think they made a good decision by having Zelda as a launch title. So in yeah. their core markets, at least, uh, is going to sell a lot more. I, I completely agree with that because uh, this is a console aimed not only at handheld gamers, it's home console gamers as well. And uh, Zelda captures the Western market immediately. If they would have gone with another title, like, say, uh, a proper role-playing game, a Japanese role-playing game, I should say, not Zelda... It would do well in Japan, but you need to have sales in the US and in Europe and Zelda's going to do that. Yeah. For sure. So for the first uh, two months, we'll have uh, Zelda coming in, then we'll have Mario Kart 8 Deluxe coming in. So that's going to push quite a, lo a lot of people to buy it. And Mario Kart 8 will also get uh, more people to invest into the hardware, given how well the multiplayer seems to be working, both mm. split screen and online. More like switch screen, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, historically, it has always shown that a strong lineup at the start does not really mean anything for the console sales. PS Vita had one of the strongest lineups when it launched. Look at this. <laughs> yeah. I, I think just Cutting like... me deep. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I think the three of us are the only people in what this part of town who have it. Yeah. And multiple Vitas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where is... Picking, picking up slack for the rest of the world. Where, yeah. where, where, essentially, the Vita defense force, but... I mean, yeah, I do agree. It isn't uh, a sign that it's going to do well, but I mean, it's not a, a great lineup isn't a sign that it's going to do well, but it just makes you wonder, right? Why would you pre-order? I mean, unless a Zelda aside, which you know is never going to go out of stock, uh, why would you pre-order? There hey, is no reason to pre-order. Rishi, did you pre-order? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> in my defense, it's for work purposes. Oh, okay. Okay. What about you, Mike? Uh, yeah, multiple pre-orders in at different retailers to make sure I yeah, get so one. if any of you are listening and you want to buy a Nintendo Switch you know who to contact <laughs> so the thing with Nintendo hardware is like this is a it's a joke but uh, they actually understock and they create artificial scarcity is what I call it 
uh, with it started happening with Amiibo, which are the Toys to Life things which they sell. It happened with the NES Classic, and it's happened with the new 3DS. Don't uh, forget the Wii. Variants. The Wii had a massive stock, uh, and the shortage. Wii U as well. Yeah. So they they obviously undership and understock at retailers so that more people talk about their product. And I've already seen it go out of stock in minutes and sometimes in seconds, like on Amazon. So yeah, I I, I was awake and. I had my coffee and I have my pre-orders now. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, even if you want to pre-order right now, it, it's out of stock. You it, don't it's find it it's very difficult to get it right now. But uh, by the time the console actually releases and a month or two into the life cycle, I think uh, it'll be easily available yeah. online yeah. and uh, through other unofficial channels. Yeah, so speaking of hardware, let's just talk about some of the interesting things that they unveiled. I think the Joy-Con controllers, the, those were the best things for about this console yeah. first of all those are like really tiny and very portable if you want to just take it out and then play a portable game um like the, the console has three modes one is tv mode one is desk mode and uh, one is uh, handheld mode so whichever mode it is this controller looks like it's going to be perfect for for them so uh, under tv mode you have both of them attached to the dock and then you play with uh, like two sticks on either side to the grip yeah to the grip yeah. and uh, under the desk mode you can just detach the controller and play uh, one controller in each hand and under handheld mode obviously like the thing is attached to the dock right so so then you can continue playing as well my favorite thing about the joycon is that it allows you to emulate just about every other nintendo console release till date including the wii the wii u the gamecube or if you, if you want to go behind that i mean you could have emulated that on any other nintendo console as well but this thing gives you access to a huge games library at the start if nintendo is smart enough they will give you access to those games through virtual console i'm actually on day one. surprised they haven't shown off the virtual console lineup yeah. today because it's something which is a big part of their every console they have i mean they're infamous for making people rebuy the same games over and over again yeah. So I have a feeling they're saving this for another announcement closer to release or maybe a little later when their OS is uh, stable. You think that the like if they have a subscription service for their online uh, service, whatever that will be called. Nintendo Switch yeah. online service. So yeah, so basically do you think that they're going to have something like uh, you have access to the virtual console for unlimited period and everything as long as your subscription is on? So for the now, games? they've announced that people who pay for the online service get one NES or SNES game which is playable for free for that month. Now this wording is a little vague <laughs> and either it implies that you can only play the free game for that month or it implies you get access uh, to it. That's a terrible and deal, man. It is, but we don't know the price yet. But it's evident that Nintendo went for this given how much money Sony and Microsoft make from their online service. Yeah. But it remains to be seen if they start adding free games to make the subscription more worth it. Okay. Because Nintendo, uh, Nintendo's account system has been pretty terrible. Yeah, and so it far. still is pretty bad. So getting people to pay for this, you'd have to really offer something good. It'll have to be really cheap because knowing Nintendo and their online history and seeing the prices of the competitors and all and the kind of deal they're offering on this, Nintendo has to go really, really cheap. It has to be competitive. Yeah. I, I disagree with that because, I mean, while they do follow some market trends... Their, their pricing is in their own league. And we've seen this with Super Mario Run, a $10 game. I mean, no one does $10 on a mobile. That's suicide. But they've done it anyway. We've seen it with all their first-party titles. The only time a, a game gets a price drop from $60 to $20 is when it hits a greatest hits compilation. And that rarely happens. So I wouldn't keep my hopes up for a, for, for a lower price. But if it manages to stick with the industry standard of, I think, $60, that's the industry standard, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. for PS Plus and Xbox Live, I think we're good. Anything in, anything less, 
I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, sure, if they're pricing it at $60, then I think they need to offer more than what their competitors are offering. Because honestly, the trust factor with Nintendo's online services, it's not too high. And also, uh, it's going to be very restricted at launch. In fact, you need your smartphone to be connected to the, uh, the Nintendo Switch for voice chat at launch. They don't even have that built in. Wow. what yes yeah. that's actually yeah. a thing they and also it, yeah. uh, their online service is going to be restricted to a few countries at launch so even though everyone's celebrating the region free <laughs> nature like i am <laughs> there there's always a catch yeah, yeah and this catch could essentially mean for those of you who may be looking to pre-order this catch could essentially mean that while you can get the console and use it in your country there's a good chance that any of the online functionality or even buying a game digitally may not be possible and this is something we'll only know closer to release. But right now, this could very well be a possibility. Yeah, That's but the true. good news is that this console supports offline multiplayer. So does any of you want to talk about the functions of the Joy-Con? Anything interesting you, you found in that? Hey, I'm very excited about it because I obviously, like, as you guys know, I have a kid. So playing with her on this, this is a dream console for us because you get two controllers right off the box. So that's perfect for me and plus it has some really really good parental controls that uh, i saw in another demonstration video in which you can kind of monitor how long your kid has been playing on the console for and uh, you can even put the console on sleep mode and put a timer on how long he or she should play right through your mobile phone app so it's really really nice yeah that that definitely is very good i was very impressed with the whole motion sensing bit uh, yeah. the game they demoed one to switch which yeah. is like a party game uh, where like reaction times matter Okay, I'm a little disappointed with this only because when they initially started showing off this Wild West scenario, I got excited because <laughs> I thought Red Dead Redemption yeah, 2. Same, yeah, same. I think everyone same. thought that. Yeah. I was celebrating. I was like, okay, so Switch gets it before PC. Wait, so <laughs> that's a huge win for Nintendo. Wait, so I was the only one. I was the only one who thought they were going to do Red Steel 3. Yep. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn. No, but. That aside, uh, Joy-Con-wise, I really like the modularity aspect of it. And I think they've nailed it. And to me, from an industrial design standpoint, from a, from a functionality standpoint, it's just something that will work. So, I mean, yeah, simplicity. Yeah, That's I really thing. like the colors as well. What do you think, Rishi, about the colors? I'll <laughs> take mine in grey, thank you. No, I, I'm very excited for the blue and the orange because uh, the Vita, which I have now, is a neon blue one and I look forward to getting an orange one. So, this is like both together. Yeah. So, that's good. Sure, anyway, let's uh, get back on track. They showed a second game right at the beginning. So, initially, I was under the impression that the game called ARMS will be a launch title, but clearly it's not. It's uh, They don't even have have a date for it yet but it was interesting because it showed how the motion sensing tech is being used so they showed a person who was wearing uh, like two who had held uh, two controllers one in each arm uh, one, one in each hand and with the wrist strap attached and then when you move the controller to the left or right your character moves and when you make that punching motion that's when the character punches so in the game each character has these expandable spring-like arms so they go like very far away something like 20-30 meters away and then yeah. they punch a player and come back so that looked like a pretty good use case for, for this motion sensing tech okay I'm calling it right now if this game does not have Dalsim in it it's a wasted opportunity <laughs> <laughs> or, or for that matter a Mr. Fantastic skin yeah, yeah that's the, the closest true. you're getting to that is a port of Ultra Street Fighter 2, oh, which is man. massively overpriced. Yeah, yeah, forty dollars, right? Yeah, who wants to play, pay forty dollars for a game that's like twenty years old? Is it even twenty years old or is longer More than, than that? that? Hey, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, to be very honest, I'm looking forward to that. 
and Bomberman and Skyrim, I am a part of the problem. Yeah, real-time follow-up, it's launching in spring 2017. So, I don't really know which month it will be because all these American seasons, they just escape me entirely. For me, spring is March. Yeah. So, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, it should come in March, but then I think it will be Spring May. would be second quarter, yeah. Yeah, so May or maybe even June. It'll be before E3. Yeah, perhaps okay. E3 is going to be beginning of June. Okay, let's hope so. Um, I I don't know about Nintendo's track record. I mean, you guys will be able to enlighten me on that. Uh, if they say a game is launching on X date, does it deliver on X date? I don't know. Look at Legend of Zelda. As a yeah, Wii U owner, yeah. I've been waiting for three years, four <laughs> years actually now. <laughs> But so yeah, yeah. I, mean, other, I think other than Zelda they they're pretty good with their yep. dates. Exactly. Triple A titles may have a chance of slipping but not the rest of them. The other ones they're pretty good at it. All right. So why not why don't we speak about the one Mario title that was announced at the event Super Mario Odyssey? Oh yes. Like what I mean I don't know why they're holding back till the holiday season. Yeah. Because the game seems to be ready and a lot of insiders have claimed it's been ready for a while. I guess they don't want to take away Zelda's thunder. Yeah. But that's like shifting it too far. Zelda is now. And that's holiday is when? And so, October, exactly. November? Holiday is probably going to be their bundle title for people to be buying for their kids for Christmas. I have a feeling they've put that as a placeholder for the holiday season until they can get something else big that time. Hmm. Because they cannot release it in September and October. Yeah. And they can't release it in uh, December because that's too late as yeah. well. So it has to be somewhere over there but they also cannot release it when Call of Duty Battlefield and the other shooters come mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. So they're in a very tricky position with yeah. this title because it needs to sell. Yeah. Come to think of it actually uh, you do have a point. So like they have Zelda as a good bundle title right now. Mario Kart Deluxe could be a really good bundle title for the gap oh, that they Oh have definitely between. and uh, I can easily see them doing a Splatoon bundle when Splatoon 2 releases in summer yeah. because uh, that's one of the few titles uh, one of the few new IPs this gen to actually have uh, sold more than a million in Japan mm-hmm. yeah yeah as yeah. far as i know it it continues to sell and outsell newer titles on PS4 which is the console which is apparently king and Wii U is dead but splatoon is is like unstoppable right so now so they have a good reason to keep you excited about the console like for every 2 months with a big release mm. exactly but the only reason why the lineup seems a little sparse right now is because uh, we've not ha- heard that much for AAA third party support but more than actually uh, cross platform titles i would rather have some exclusives on this because i really don't think uh, games that play well on ps4 or pc are really the big draw out here so i would like to see some more exclusives like what we saw with bayonetta on the highly successful view oh wait was it successful <laughs> <laughs> who knows man we might see scalebound come to the switch no microsoft owns that ip under uh, a different name <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> platinum games on the they don't sell regardless of platform, even though they make good games. Yeah. But I have a feeling they're going to announce something very soon for this because they have a very close relationship with Nintendo through other publishers, and when Nintendo gets them to do their own game, like Wonderful One Hundred One. Yeah. So yeah. they probably do a sequel to that. depending on Yeah so before we move on to other games I'd just like to draw your attention to one tiny tidbit that I saw on the spec sheet as a storage uh, space is 32 GB internal and yeah. if I'm not mistaken it supports up to 128 GB via micro SD cards so now Mikhail you mentioned NBA 2K18 yeah. that game is known to be a little large right Yeah the uh, when I got NBA 2K17 for review it turned out to be a 61 GB game on PS4 yeah. it's almost the same size on Xbox one I imagine it'll be around the same size on PC as well. And when they announce NBA 2K18 for the Switch, that's probably going to they're going to be more ambitious with it. I have no idea how that's going to fit on a Switch without an SD card. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, I have a feeling the actual cartridges used on the Switch will have a limit of 32 GB as well. So we're probably going to be seeing lower resolution assets and lower quality sound files than uh, uh, than the other consoles. Maybe they'll uh, restrict uh, language support and make you download like how some developers do. Because 61 yeah. GB is not happening on the yeah, Switch. Definitely not. Uh, yeah, the, though I do believe that the 32 gig... Uh, capacity limit on the cards is about right because this was leaked by Nintendo's own memory supplier. Okay. So Marconix, they they had leaked this I think six months ago, three to six months ago, when it was still called the NX. So I'm I'm likely to believe that will be the case. And yes, language packs are something we've seen uh, with Xenoblade when it came out on the Wii U. Uh, in in Latin America, they essentially told the users to download the 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 uh, Spanish translations that were required for their regions. So I won't be surprised to see them take a digital route towards localization. We saw something like this with uh, Diablo 3 Ultimate Evil Edition on console where if you bought the USA version, you just had English and French, I believe. But the European release was about 10 or 15 GB more because it had voice acting and tech support for various languages in Europe. So we might see something like this happen over here because 32 GB is very small for current AAA standards. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with patch sizes being like Doom has a 19 GB patch right now. Yeah, and I'd also like to add, I'm so happy to see that they showed a Shin Megami Tensei game and not a Pokemon game. <laughs> like, eat that Pokemon fan. <laughs> <laughs> While I agree with the sentiment, it's a little too soon to show a Pokemon game because uh, they still need sales for Sun and Moon on the 3DS and yeah. uh, showing Pokemon on a home console is an E3 thing. But yeah, mm. seeing Shin Megami Tensei in a launch, uh, in a console launch conference, man, either that's like really good news or really bad news. No, it's really <laughs> like good news. they have nothing else to show. Because... Uh, Atlas has been a huge supporter of the 3DS. I think more yeah, so than absolutely. most other, like yeah. even more than Square Enix. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Um, any other titles you guys were excited about? I saw Fire Emblem Warriors and. Uh, oh, definitely Fire Emblem Warriors. Oh, man. Like, uh, I'm not. I'm getting a little bored of Tecmo Koei and Omega Forces Warriors games, given that I played seven of them last year. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but they did a really good job with Hyrule Warriors, which is the Warriors take on the Legend of Zelda. And uh, last year, Fire Emblem Fates came out, which was amazing. So I have no doubt this is going to be like a title I pick up immediately. Yeah. yeah. But there's no, I don't think there's even a release window for that game yet. So for the games that have a release window, Splatoon 2 for sure. And uh, Sonic Mania, the old school Sonic new game. I'm excited for that. No, no, I am not. No, no. I'm excited about the Dragon Quest games, man. There are four Dragon Quest games coming on this. Like Four? four of them are I thought there were 40 of them. They said Dragon <laughs> Quest. <laughs> no, no. Man, two of them are basically those fighting games like the Hyrule Warriors kind of an action thing, which yeah. is something I'm not that excited about. But 10 and 11. Wow, man. That's going to be my day one purchase. So I guess I'm the only one here who wants Mario Odyssey and Zelda, I guess. What? No, I'll buy Zelda. Yeah, I'm just looking forward to What those. else will we play on it? <laughs> I'm just looking forward to those. And they didn't mention GameCube support. Which they didn't mention mean. Virtual Console at all, exactly. which is why I think they'll save that for another event. I'm mm. pretty sure they will. Which because is, look at it, it's all heading in that direction. I mean, which is why, I mean, if they do uh, bring in GameCube support, then Metroid Prime is a definite shoe-in. Hmm. Uh, we might see uh, Metal Gear Twin Snakes, you never know. Hopefully Konami decides to bring that in. So And Eternal Darkness, because Nintendo's also... Uh, renewed the IP for that. So you might see Eternal Darkness come via uh, v- via Virtual Console first. And then we might see a new game in the franchise. It's a cult horror series. A lot of people love the first game. Who knows? You might see a sequel. It might become a franchise. 
Hey man, it's also time they got Metroid Prime back. This is the perfect console for it. Yeah, that. Federation Force 2 is definitely happening. <laughs> online multiplayer where you pay for online and it it won't work in India. That's the dream. <laughs> Gagan, I can see it now. Uh, <laughs> as okay. a solitary tear rolls down your cheek. Fine, yeah. man. Yeah, I mean, Rishi's like, tears are joining I could his. go for single player. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some things that I have been personally been worried about is first of all they had no information whatsoever on the ui that uh, will be there on the nintendo switch uh, will we see something as polished as what we have now on the ps4 um, or will it be something that you like know that's Xbox not one yeah doesn't work properly so we've just seen one glimpse of uh, the launch screen for the switch which has uh, tiles for different games uh, nothing more has been revealed yet but there's going to be a hands on going on for a few days now across Japan, Europe and the US. So we'll see like streamers and journalists post pictures and yeah. information about this. Mm. But uh, yeah, I did notice that they didn't show this off at all. And I have a feeling it's because uh, it's not ready or mm. the smartphone app that connects to this and controls a lot of the functionality is not ready. Yeah. In which case, if you're one of the few people who has Windows phone, you're probably out of luck with the Switch. Um, what, <laughs> what worries me is is not just what the UI looks like and what the OS could be, but how it actually feels. Because the Wii U was notorious where to the point where you needed to update it before using it. And if you didn't, it would be very laggy, very buggy, it would crash. So to me, it's gonna be interesting to see how well that user experience is. And to give you some perspective, uh, when Sony announced the PlayStation 4, it was a two hour event. And in those two hours, they actually got into the UI, they actually got into the OS, mm -hmm. they got into functionality aside from games. And Ooh. here we had, I think, what is best, at best case, a 50-minute conference, all right? They showed a bunch of games. They let some information out on spec that, yes, you can finally record gameplay. But they also said gameplay recording will be coming in the future. They said you can take screenshots and you can gameplay recording will be coming in the future and you can share stuff on social media. Now, if, now if, if I'm to infer from that, it means that the OS isn't ready yet. Mm. The functionality yeah. is yet to be baked in or it could be coming in as an update. So to me, that's the most worrying thing because the last thing you want to do is buy a new console and realize that you need a massive update to get it working. We've seen this with the Xbox One. We saw this with the Wii U. I, I think it's a bad trend for users because you, you're you buying a console with the inherent implication that you don't have to connect to the internet to use it. So it will be interesting to see how they go around that. Yeah. I also have my doubts when they say that you can actually connect to a social media because Nintendo and social media. So are they talking about traditional media like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or are they talking about Meverse. YouTube is a long stretch, but yeah, or Meverse. No, they would do uh, Twitter and Facebook for sure because that functionality is built into some extent on the 3DS. In a lot of games I play, you can share to them through, uh, there's a separate app on the 3DS which lets you share called 3DS Image Share. Wow. And that lets you log into Twitter and Facebook. It's one of the worst implementations ever. Yeah. And yet it's not as annoying as sharing images on the Xbox One. <laughs> Let that sink in for a bit. Yeah. What? Yes, it's not that bad. Wow. On the Xbox One, you still, I think you still need Xbox Live Gold to share screenshots. Yes. And it only lets you share a link which you can access on a browser and then save your screenshot. Hey, link this here. literally sounds like, no. This literally sounds like something Nintendo would implement, but yeah, this yeah. is how Microsoft has done it. So them putting a share button for screenshots is like, thank you, finally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, they really have learned from other consoles. It makes our life easy as well when we sit and review games. Yes. 
it does another thing that really struck out was that they had this event in january when the console is launching in march i mean why not have it closer to launch day have these things ready and show everything during the event itself why why do you have to like have this event so early because get more pre order numbers for march before financial year closes mm. that's mm. what i think and if you think about it it's uh, it, it if you still think about it versus other consoles it's quite a narrow period because you had the ps4 and xbox one being announced in february they were showcased at e3 and they were available in november so you had like a longer lead time here you had a console that is in october you have an event in jan and you're going to be available in march so nintendo has a shorter window to play with and uh to me what what's concerning is not the fact that they fine you might think that they launched they might they might have shown it off too early i have a feeling they may not have given themselves enough time because uh and prior to the event the amount of things that got leaked was even insane i mean essentially for the last 3 months most of what i've been covering have been nintendo leaks hmm. so i don't think they've given themselves enough time and uh i have a feeling there ha- there is probably some financial pressure to ensure it's out by march because mm. it your your financials close end end march beginning yeah. april right yeah. mm. so that's what it seems to me it seems that you know they had to do something and they had to do something soon because the wii u is barely 4 years old now almost 5 years old yeah it's a little premature also but they're saying called- it's 4 to 5 years too old <laughs> cut me deep <laughs> Joy-Con has variable um, battery life, like uh, dep- like two the and games. a half to six hours. Yeah, it's depending that's, on the game. That's like really weird, right? I mean, that's such a long difference between battery life. So, are they talking about between playing Sudoku and playing like Legend of Zelda or what? Maybe they're talking about standby time of six hours. No, yeah. I don't think it's that bad. Yeah. Have you seen the Wii U tablet? <laughs> two hours, <laughs> best case situation. I mean, that has a load. That has a loading screen for the settings app. We don't talk about that anymore. <laughs> yeah. No, Wii U tablet is an exceptional case because it was way before its time. I think they would have learned by now. And this is all based on the the Nvidia Tegra chipset. And yeah, tablets using that have better battery life. Not yeah, I felt that so many of these things were just mentioned in passing, like uh, the battery life we spoke about. Uh, Rishi, what you mentioned earlier that uh, video sharing yeah. like, is is going to come later. Hmm. So I thought that they rushed through a lot of the hardware bits because they didn't really have much to speak about. And I think yeah. they they didn't have time, and they have long events and long sessions with journalists all yeah, over yeah. where they will get people to cover it, and they'll have more details on that stuff. Like we didn't even know about the uh, that you could. broadcast this stuff on Twitch like people YouTubers can share the live stream usually they get content id blocked yeah but this is one of the rare cases when nintendo encouraged everyone to share yeah, yeah. i think it also has to do with the way the company perceives itself because if this was microsoft or sony you'd see like a, a good 20 minutes on spec and spec alone and the fact that nintendo has taken a very for, has taken an approach which is more about the games that's why there's a dichotomy in in what you expect yeah. so to me the biggest uh I, 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 as an event as itself i thought yeah it was pretty much to the point uh what's worrying though is fine you say it's region free which to me is a big big plus point as someone who like who usually imports his games that's a big plus point but we don't know to what degree now there could be a region lock on store there could be an ip lock we don't know any of that yet so we can't exactly tell so to me that's the biggest uh worry point but otherwise i think it was pretty good 
and Nintendo is known to stagger information. They have two more press cons happening after this. They have shown the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild at like eight different events before this possibly. And the Nintendo Directs like for every game, for every feature, they do a separate Nintendo Direct in which they give you a, like a whole long explanation about what this one new feature can do. So they're known to be like that. So I don't think you're going to get everything at one shot. I'll say one thing though, if it didn't end with the Zelda getting a release date for launch, it would have been a failure of an event. Yeah. Even yeah. though I liked a lot of the game they showed and I was going to buy it anyway, Zelda Megaton, like it's done. Yeah, that's what, that, that, that was one of the best trailers that they showed as well. I was totally blown away. Uh, by all the footage I, I was just like silently just you know dreading it in in the horror was building inside me slowly when, as I was watching the trailer because I was really loving it and oh you I thought was, it'll be 2018 in the yeah. end like I did <laughs> yeah <laughs> and turns out it's launched it so that really then inside of me I realized this is a Nintendo game and not a Sony first party title <laughs> <laughs> oh wow wow <laughs> there are no words yeah, yeah. So yeah, that really redeemed the entire um, event as far as I'm concerned. I mean, if you I, notice, they never mentioned anything about the Wii U version of Breath of the Wild. Yeah, that's worrying <laughs> to me. No, it's releasing on the same day they sent out a press release oh, nice. quietly. Uh, okay. Nice. But okay. yeah, we don't talk about that version anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you don't talk about Wii U anymore. <laughs> hey man, at least it's not like a Microsoft first party game. So it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Scalebound, never forget. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing how restricted the online is with region. Hmm. And when they say region free, I'm sure there's an asterisk over there which says conditions apply. Because there's no way this is just region free. Like enjoy yourselves, import Breath of the Wild from Japan for the better box art. All that is not going to work. Yeah, There's going to be something. Most which- importantly, will the Indian credit card work on the online store? <laughs> it never did before. <laughs> I mean, like, you may as well ask, will Paytm work? <laughs> we know that stuff isn't going to happen, man. Yeah. Oh, well. In the second half of this episode, we will discuss the BBC detective series Sherlock, the fourth season of which just came to a close. Welcome to the pop culture segment of Transition, our games and pop culture podcast. And we have had a change in panel here. So first of all, let me just introduce the people who are going to be talking about BBC's detective series, that is Sherlock. First up is Akhil Arora. He is the pop culture nerd in the team. Hey, everyone. And we also have Rohan Narwane. He is a features writer and somebody who does a lot of videos, but he has an interest in pop culture as well. Hello. And as usual, I'm your host Pranay, but you recognize me because I was with you just before the break. Overall, I mean, what did you guys think about this particular season, season four of Sherlock? Yeah, it's a, that is un- unusual because it's pretty much like getting, what, 12 or 13 movies over the last six, seven years. And we've had like very different adventures throughout those process. And we've seen like sort of Sherlock, the character, grow from season one to where we are at now. But seeing the fourth season st- as standalone... I wasn't that happy because I feel like the show has sort of divulged from what it used to be and uh, which is what about case solving and him looking at things very analytically, which is what wowed the audience is. But this time, I mean, it sort of makes sense to like sort of deep delve into the character and see what made him. But as TV entertainment, it did not pan out really well for me. Yeah, I thought it was very good. Like, I, I don't necessarily agree with the fact that the deduction bit should have been continued for this season because I thought this was more like an exploration of Sherlock himself 
like you the deductions and all, all the things that he used to do to other people i thought in this episode the characters around him um especially with uh, euros coming in yeah. and uh, moriarty i mean making an appearance again from the grave uh, be these two people how like they've already uh, moriarty has already been exposing sherlock's vulnerabilities but in this episode euros took it to another level so i thought it was an exploration of the character which was much needed because after a point that whole deduction bit it kind of tends to get a bit boring and repetitive so right so i agree with that but i feel like it could have been handled in a better manner where it wasn't always about sherlock himself you know like the first episode showed us that he uh, obviously when mary dies watson is very angry with sherlock okay and when the second episode starts i'm i was sort of expecting uh, to episode to focus more on watson and show how he's going to react to that and how sherlock is going to reach out but that wasn't really how the writers were interested in handling that they were, it was more about has as mary tells us that the only way to save john is for sherlock to put himself in a dangerous situation and then john comes same which just self felt very weird for me like how does that work that way yeah absolutely and i think uh, so about the deductions part right like uh, there's this one uh, particular sort of uh, uh, self deprecating humor about the uh, the deductions bit where uh, mary is like taken random decisions to travel uh, to the yeah. other part of the world and Sherlock like has this seven yeah. eight countries yeah. yeah so yeah so they i think they admit to the fact that so i think they that that i saw that as a way of them addressing the fact that the deductions can uh, there is a very thin line between them being entertaining and somewhat believable you know yeah. uh, to being just obscene and just like you know what the I mean, mont- yeah. 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 Uh, so i thought that the whole uh, them planting it i mean sherlock planting a tracker chip inside a pen drive and mary not noticing that i thought that was uh, quite unbelievable i mean for somebody who's as smart as she exactly is. i mean she's supposed to be like this great assassin who like bursts into embassies and like rescues yeah. people yeah. and she wouldn't notice a tracker yeah i mean she goes to places and pulls out a passport from a random rock hidden under a tar or something but yeah. she can't see that there's a tracker chip in yeah, the pen drive yeah wouldn't like it's easier to just like copy the pen drive to another pen drive which you know is not like bugged and then take that but yeah the thing is this is a very sort of small thing we're hampering on about but it does connect to the larger things yeah. is that the writers have always never sort of never cared about uh explaining these things or even when they do care about explaining these things they just like sort of get away with it because you know just it's just sherlock yeah it's so like second episode ends with a john getting shot okay and you sort of think that okay is, is, this is going to be a real turning point here and we don't know what's going to happen because euros was just introduced but the third episode comes and we just find out there was a tranquilizer gun i mean that's sort of a cheap trick isn't it yeah, <laughs> yeah. i i i would agree to that yeah. and uh, i think uh, so that that's the problem right i think the first two seasons they of of sherlock were have been generally marvelous and i think the reason why people even started caring and following this show a lot so uh, and it's very obvious i think if you look at general consensus about the most recent season hmm. it's obvious that people are, there is something missing there and i don't think it's 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 just like a few people who are thinking that but i think that's the message that we've got across the board yeah, that so people so are just not satisfied exactly i, mean, yeah. I feel like sometimes what happens happened over time and i don't know if you agree with this is that so the sherlock was fun i mean most entertainment is fun when it's sort of balances two things so it's balances the dark things which is going on because these are like crime happenings with the fun deductions because we sort of love those parts where he sort of you know do something like oh look he he sort of like figure that out but over time i feel like it's become too much about the first thing and too little of the second thing yeah 
So I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because I've always wanted to see more about Sherlock. Character story, yeah. Yeah, than the deductions themselves. Because what happens is because the way the Sherlock novel is written, I mean not the novel, the short stories, the way they are written is that each uh, story is an individual story in itself about his particular case. He solves it or he sometimes fails to solve it and then the larger story like remembers those events and goes right. it goes to the next case so that case by case thing allows for very little time to get uh, like involved in each character's story so that means there's sherlock and there's watson and there may be like a overarching villain like a moriarty uh, but you know that's that's a thing like apart from these characters every other thing keeps changing so you don't really get attached to anything you don't get very involved with any particular thing right. so over here what can you get what what would you want more of you'd want more of john watson you'd want more of sherlock you'd want more of the villains right, right. so by exploring the character and they've done it very cleverly by showing how weak he is instead of showing that this guy is so smart that he can deduce pretty much everything by exploring that that really touched a chord as far as i am concerned i don't know about you guys yeah i think that is true i mean so it sort of makes sherlock more human and yeah. which is what we sort of find in the third episode that we's always been sort of which is what he, the dialogue he says right that your the man you've become is your memory of euros so like sherlock sort of turned into this cold analytical intellectual person and he forgot the heart he had as a child which was like playing with his best friend and now he discovers especially in the third episode he discovers that out of the three home siblings he's the one who is more the most humane i would say yeah and i mean this has been happening over the course of the last few seasons right i mean uh, so if if you guys have been noticing his inability to deal with emotions or any emotional situation like when he talks to john he's like outright rude but then he feels bad about it that's like highlighted yeah. you know in a very understated way he, yeah. he's almost ignoring it so like it was going to boil over at some point and the way they progress the character from like season 1 to 4 that's actually quite nice i mean it'd be really interesting to see somebody who's never seen this show and suddenly starts binge watching it from season 1 yeah. and it'll be interesting to see what they think of sherlock yeah in fact uh, you know there is a slight mention of irene adler uh, you know that text message yeah. with that mm. peculiar yeah. sound <laughs> <laughs> which is like you know uh, relatable from the seasons prior yeah let me see if i can play that sound effect right i would here. have <laughs> i would have really loved to see a little bit more uh, of the sherlock holmes irene adler chemistry i'm i'm not saying like i i wanted to see them go out on a date or something yeah. like that but just a little bit more of that chemistry you know it, it's like sort of uh, reminds me of uh, how uh sherlock in in this particular respect is uh, from the big bang theory like you know you, how you have sheldon and you know how <laughs> oh, sheldon is no. like no, no. I, you know hear me out hear me out big how bang theory is not a good show no anymore. no hear me out hear me out think of sheldon and how uh impersonal he is with his uh female relationships or his love right. interests yeah. and you know he's absolutely emotionless so i i i see i i draw some parallels between that Fast, yeah. as you know, facet of uh, Sheldon and yeah, yeah, uh, with, with Sherlock. So I would have loved to see a little bit more of that Irene Adler part because I thought the Irene Adler parts from the previous seasons were more. Yeah, which is also like weird because like uh, that they name dropped like Adler in the final episode as well, but they sort of didn't know what to do with it, didn't know how to sort of reintroduce the character and make sense of it at the same time. Yeah, like why was it name dropped? Exactly. Yeah, like there was only name dropped sort of like to f- act as a foil for like. 
Watson's relation with Mary, right? Because she was like standing there as a ghost. So right. they wanted to give something to Sherlock so that it wouldn't make sense for the situation. But otherwise, beyond that, they have sort of had no plan with the character. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And th- those are some of the like problems that I have with this particular season. For example, when Mary dies, right? And John is obviously understandably upset but then he's immediately like you know you know that oh he's going to be like super angry with Sherlock now whereas he was there he was in the room he saw that Mary basically you know put herself in front of Sherlock to take that bullet it was her decision it was like through and through obvious this was right but also the decision sort of doesn't make sense for me because you're the mother of a child who was just born and you're sacrificing yourself not just that you know my biggest problem with that uh, scene is Okay, there's there's a standoff going on between uh, I forgot her name uh, that villain woman who's yeah, from the that's fine UK. Some, some secretary yeah, yeah, yeah some yeah. secretary yeah so between her that's where uh, she Mary the villain. <laughs> exactly <yeah. laughs> so between uh, the secretary uh, Mary and Sherlock so these three people are I mean Sherlock and Mary are facing the woman and Sherlock is spending like wasting time just dissecting her entire life based on yeah he's basically yeah. sort of like groaning her he's like sort of telling her like you know take the shot sort of like goading yeah, her yeah he's goading her again and again and again and I mean any clever person any smart like half smart person would have first disarmed her before go- going to all of these lengths yeah. I mean he just assumed that she wouldn't have a gun or he probably like he couldn't observe that I, I really don't understand why he even let that situation get out of hand and once it did it was like one of those emo movies where you know I will save you yeah, so let say, me yeah, jump yeah, yeah, in yeah. front of and you and she like flies across the screen yeah, yeah. Like bullet touch. yeah, yeah. and yeah. after you know even in slow motion you realize that the bullet is fired from the chamber it's midair, and that's when she jumps yeah which is like which, which is, is yeah, which probably like logic humanly Sherlock loves right yeah, yeah and yeah. also a very bad moment as as far as uh, visual effects are concerned i mean that that also reminds me of that scene with the motion sensing bomb thing yeah. where sherlock and mycroft uh, no sherlock and watson both jump out of the yeah. window and there's like this horrible Just bad cgi yeah very <laughs> bad cgi of an yeah. explosion happening behind them and it's almost as bad as old doordarshan shows it, it was <laughs> really the bigger question bad. here is like what was the need of that scene in the first place like yeah. if euros has kind of crafted all these games back at the prison okay for like them to navigate what was the plan of blowing them up? Like, who's going to play all those games then? Yeah, yeah I, I think she kind of, like, banked on the fact that they'd be able to escape. And the yeah, fact but why that- would you take that chance? Sort of, like, you know, in that sense, it reminds me of, like, Joker from The Dark Knight. Hmm. I feel like he sets all those traps for the Batman. And he sets, like, the 13th trap when Batman is still at the 4th trap. Like... Hmm. How do you know he's going to make he's it through all of these through. loopholes? Yeah, yeah but then that's um, that's a bit of leeway I'm willing to allow the writers because if Sherlock can know two or three weeks in advance that, uh, what's his name, Watson is going to come and leave a particular <laughs> yeah. walking stick in the yeah. hospital, yeah. If, so he embeds a recording device in that. So if that can happen, then Euros is one step ahead of Sherlock as well, right? So she can plan for all of these things. Fair yeah, enough. but like when you sort of know that this is finally like fictional entertainment, you sort of, you can see, look behind the curtain and understand that the finally the writers have decided to take sort of a leap of faith and go with it because yeah. no one's going to care at the end of the day. Yeah, that's that I do agree with that. But I I still say that I mean this season was not that bad as far as I'm concerned uh, partly because it's been 3 years since I saw, uh, saw Sherlock last. Uh, <laughs> so that was one main reason I wasn't really tired of the character. Uh, and secondly because they explored Sherlock himself and thirdly because some of the characters around Sherlock were really good I I don't know about you guys I really liked uh, Mycroft's uh, performance that's Mark Gattis I thought he is very understated and the the way he acts and the way he acts around Sherlock it, it, it was nicely done Absolutely. He's always been a pleasure to uh, view. He's one of the writers yeah. of the show as well. Yeah. So, oh, really? Oh. Yeah. He's yes. a co-creator. So Mark Gattis is the co-creator with Stephen Moffat. Oh, yeah. So he's the co-creator and writer. Yeah. yeah. Also I, I believe he's directed the uh, third episode as well, right? In no, he didn't write it. He just wrote it. He just yeah. wrote it. Okay. So, they uh-huh. had, so they had, I think they had different directors for every hmm. 
single episode from the beginning or something so yeah. let's like segue from like bad cgi to some good cgi in the show particularly the sequence where uh, uh urus dressed as uh, uh, faith uh, walks up to his home and he's a drug addled so he is not entirely in his full capacity yeah. mental capacity and that walk through the street where he's trying to deduce how the uh, paper that stuck on the kitchen wall right, yeah. you know and and uh, the cgi there or or you know basically basically the 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 set the way it's crafted there. yeah yeah the way that's it was crafted i i think those were some so i'll bring out a very small point in in the visual effects that they use so whenever sherlock deduces something they show him like waving his hands in the air yeah. and then things just appear in the air yeah. so what i really like here is that these characters that appear these diagrams that appear they're always at an angle like they're never like straight they meld into the background so the way they've done that i mean obviously this is a very um, professional setup here but i still would call that out as something that i really enjoy watching and you know since it's been 3 years yeah. i really missed looking at that because i see like i watch a lot of shows and i don't see this kind of uh, visual effects being used anywhere it's not outrageous yeah. but yeah. the way it's done it just melds very nicely with the background yeah sherlock was also the, one of the first shows that i actually that, like right? uh, the way they do texting yes. in the show yes mm. cuz like most people like sort of like tend to go for the screen which yeah. just looks horrible yeah. mm. cuz like you there's no one likes looking at a screen sort of screen in yeah. the first place and the way so they just like place the text next to a phone and stuff yeah. even show the way people writing or a new message appears really sort of sold the way people communicate yeah. in reality yeah and also like he's just looking at his phone and doing tak 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 and then suddenly you can see all the text messages like appearing yeah. in front of him yeah. at an angle yeah. so that that is something that appeals to me i mean my aesthetic sense may not be the best in the world but i really like that particular yeah, i agree thing. i agree with you there yeah and so like uh, doesn't take away from the scene that you're watching the thing is yeah. as soon as you show a mobile screen i have, we have everyone's forgotten the look of the characters where yeah. they were standing yeah so this sort of keeps you in the moment and still lets you look at something that is so crucial in the 21st century yeah and actually. i believe this is something that you have to plan while you're making the storyboard True. Uh, so you will actually frame your shots while leaving so much space here and ensure that the stuff in the background will not really distract from the text Yeah. and it's at an angle also so i think the special effects and all they're very well planned with the shoot itself yeah. that's what makes it stand out so another important thing over here let me just bring it up is one of my favorite things about sherlock that's the soundtrack uh, right from the title score to the way they've used it again and again in yeah. the middle and how it changes its tone depending on the seriousness of the situation and the other tracks that are used there uh, i really think it's one of the best soundtracks ever used in any tv show i've been listening to it independently uh, via apple music uh, over the last few days and i'm totally in love with it like every time i need some kind of um, like a burst of energy like i need myself to maybe focus think, on something yeah focus on something yeah, yeah. like a story if i want myself to like just sit there and start writing then this is a very very good soundtrack also yeah. it sort of puts you sort of makes you feel as if you like sherlock yourself yes. in the mind of sort of you can <laughs> as if you can actually make your brain work faster than it normally absolutely, does absolutely absolutely and that that's the uh, like the kind of purpose that soundtracks serve, at yeah. least to me like when you're listening to the iron man soundtrack you kind of get that feel that oh wow yeah you like, want to like you know? feel those moments again which yeah. you sort of made you fall in the love with the show in the, with the show place. in the first place yeah That's and right. i personally i don't know about you guys but i definitely am beginning to feel that tv shows are setting the standards for soundtracks these days i mean the sherlock and I if you like guys are setting the standard in general itself yeah that mm. that is also true and then there's westworld which yeah. has another yeah. epic soundtrack 
and Game of Thrones is also one of my favorites. So if you listen to like the soundtracks and TV shows, I know the last two have the same composer, but I don't know about Sherlock. I've forgotten who Raman composes. Chawadi. Yeah, Raman Jawadi is the like, yeah, composer for right. both. That's one. Yeah, and, he's yeah, and yeah, Prison Break job. was also pretty good. I mean, his same composer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, Westworld is a di- uh, Westworld is the same, and uh, Sherlock is a different composer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Two composers. I forgot their names. I'm really sorry, but epic. I mean, great soundtrack. Uh, so yeah. I think we should now speak about uh, the episodes itself. I personally thought episode 2 was great. 1 and 3, I mean 3 was better than 1. Well, 1 was particularly weak in this season, but 2 was where everything just clicked for me. I think I have the sort of the same thing. So 2 was the best for me as well and uh, even the 3 sort of really sort of explored the character. I feel like could have been done in a slightly more nuanced fashion and which allowed even the other characters to participate and not may not have everything feel about Sherlock himself hmm. which is why the first episode really pissed me off is because it was so much about our main character only hmm. and everything else just like sort of went into oblivion as if like they didn't exist and everyone's lives even started getting defined by Sherlock even so when Mary goes away she doesn't exist as her character she exists for the purpose of furthering John and Sherlock's bond hmm. so even in Euros like her entire life from childhood has been defined by being jealous of sherlock and then being obsessed by with sherlock and then sort of setting plans for him or torturing him like she couldn't tell if he was laughing or screaming which is so scary yeah and i personally felt that episode 3 had a bit too much happening in it there's a lot of yeah. uh, chop 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 things like constantly things were going from one part of the story to another and i thought that it could have been like a two hour episode easily uh, but ultimately yeah. you I know i feel like it could have also yeah. been a shorter episode had those like, those, those middle parts about those whole games being played hmm. with the empty coffin and the people hanging like yeah. what they really yeah. necessary in furthering the relationship between Euros and Sherlock yeah, but i suppose they're not really spoken about Euros at all right until the last part of the second episode and the third episode right so, so that the whole point yeah. of the games was sort of like to sort of show us how crazy and she was right yeah how cruel she was yeah how cruel she was and yeah. then in the end of the episode they end up putting her back in the same prison she kept escaping from like what was that about yeah that yeah. that is something and once again chalo felt really bad about it right so that's again shows his humane side and even um, detective right, lester how much control does he have over like the uk government yeah like he, in, the, in the first episode he begins and pretty much everything's fine he yeah. killed a man in cold blood mm. everything's fine because they doctor the footage yeah. he, he's safe <laughs> in the last episode even though she's killed like five people in one day and then she tortures so many and come back to the ancestral home somehow i don't know how yeah, yeah. and she keeps doing that right so yeah. she, in the, in the first episode we see her in the bus in the second she's in the apartment and then she, she's third like, she keeps doing these things gets out for like infinite amount of time tours the world and goes back to the prison and no one notices yeah and that whole bit about her reprogramming people that that uh, didn't sit right yeah, with me yeah. at all i mean so, in 5 yeah. minutes she can convert anyone she likes so yeah rohan do you agree yeah, with that yeah that that goes a little you know towards the paranormal <laughs> side <laughs> to be honest so uh, i think yeah i i think so at first i was tending to think that the finale was probably the best of the three not to say that the three were the best uh, fr- when you compare them to other seasons yeah. obviously mm. <laughs> but if you were to pick uh, so i was originally tending to pick the third one which i saw in fact just last night uh, and that's because um, of the pace and the stakes you know mm. so yeah. that for me uh, did it mm. uh, which uh, i think it's so I-, i sorely missed in episode 1 and 2 Uh, like for example the stakes were really really high at that point right, right. in in episode 3 uh, also the uh, what do you say uh, even if Mo- moriarty 
like if if you think about it moriarty as a character was so strong in the previous seasons that they had to actually write him back <laughs> from death to try and include him yeah, in this i these. suppose that's a habit of theirs right because they wrote uh, what's her name maya uh oh mary yeah mary yeah, yeah, yeah they wrote mary back again in, from the dead like she has a cd coming yeah, in like how many yeah. cds did she record before dying yeah, exactly all exactly. of these people i mean moriarty ap- appears to have recorded yeah, quite, quite, quite like, a few yeah. all those like clips of moriarty are tick just there tock, to sort of tick evoke tick those feeling that we sort of had from previous season otherwise what purpose are those clips serving like absolutely it's absolutely. almost like they couldn't decide whether you know he's dead for good or is he back or is he back yeah. so you know that's the but i i suppose that's part of the pull of that character like that's how strong that character yeah. was that they kind of had to make references even after his passing right mm. or we don't know is he really dead yeah. <laughs> anyway uh, so yeah i'm, I'm hoping that he's really at this point cuz yeah, like, really it's been so. used like sort of too often yeah. 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 yeah yeah and i hope he doesn't come back in the next season yeah. if there is one but yeah, heroes is a much more like formidable villain than yeah. moriarty at this point true yeah. so but having said that you know uh, when when you look towards the ending of season the the, la- the final episode right with basically what you just mentioned mary having that second cd where she is talking about you know you're just a drug addled uh, detective yeah. super detective and you're just this guy mm-hmm. who's basically never out of war war time right so and that just was like i think a really lame cheesy I, attempt yeah. cheesy uh, i guess ending or not but from what yeah. i hear from uh, from what i heard from you before we started recording the show that yeah, they signed up for it's a convenient way to sort of like reset the show to what it was and sort of give a new, a new status quo sort of it's, it's basically like season 1 but yeah. now we know much more about these people and they can sort of pick off or they can just leave it all together i really really hope they do a reset and i really really hope they go back to the case solving you know to the, to like the good memorable episodes like the hounds of baskerville right. or uh, you know so i i want that back. and also now we sort of know that sherlock is like does actually have emotion inside of him yeah like exactly he has a heart you know? yeah so uh, you know uh, like for example the first episode like the six thatchers right if i'm not mistaken yeah. mm-hmm. so the you know i really when it started building up i actually thought ki there is a like a mystery to solve or this right. is a case the six thatcher is a case but it just happened to be kind of entangled with mary's past yeah which is yeah. what the show loves which is like a red herring so if you so they show you this part and they're like no this is not the real thing this is the real thing yeah mm-hmm. so but i i i kind of was hoping that the six thatchers was some kind of uh, case yeah. that he was solving so i i want those cases back i want old, old sherlock back i don't or i don't want him at all but i do agree with one thing that you said earlier that i do miss that chemistry with irene adler that he had yeah. Uh, Sherlock and Irene Adler they had these exchanges all the time in which each was trying to outwit the other yeah. so that was one that kind of reminded me of that scene from Casino Royale with uh, um James Bond and Westerland when yeah. they are on the train and yeah, they talk yeah. to each other they have these intense really smart exchanges i really missed that part about the first yeah. couple of seasons and that's what sort of like made those like early seasons so like amazing right because we had like Irene Adler portrayed in a new fashion mm. which sort of fit like our new, new 21st century and then we had jim rarty played in a such a f- amazing fashion by andrew scott like the mm. actor does the job like without yep. him yep. the character is nothing yeah so i think they could definitely go back to those things and yeah. still make the show quite enjoyable um so i suppose that's all we have for this episode and we will see you with another episode of transition next week the music used in this show comes via magnus solai paulson from his album called ppp ppp that's six times p which is the soundtrack of the game vvv vvv which is six times v you can go and check it out at soulai.se that's s o u l 
E-Y-E.se. As always, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Instagram at Gadgets360.